podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We'll always be blue. We'll always be blue. We're this city. We'll always be blue. We'll always be blue. We'll always be blue. I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. On the channel, we've got interviews, podcasts and content on all sorts of subjects from mental health, MMA and boxing, football, uh, music, writing and a whole lot more. We have uh, live shows on a Monday is our football show, the Andy Campbell Championship show with uh, at the moment with the coronavirus going on, there's no live football to to you know to talk about. So we are having special guests doing trivia, covering retro games. Uh, this past Monday, we had none other than uh, former Wales international, former West Ham defender, former Cardiff City defender, Mr. Daniel Gabadon. The week before that, we had uh, day former, well, I start again, a journalist who's written for Daily, Daily Telegraph, Daily Mail, Daily Express, Daily Star, pretty much every newspaper you could think of. He's also appeared on Sky and Talk Sport. Uh, his name's Harry Harris. He wrote the book on the tragedy about Emiliano Sala, investigating all aspects of the, that from the transfer to the to the crash. Uh, he came on the live show and answered questions about the new extended version, which was a really interesting show, as well as uh, the feedback was really, i got to say, sensational. It was amazing, and I was really, really pleased with with how it went, even though Harry had a, a couple of connection issues with his internet, uh, we still managed to get the questions over to him, and he and he answered everything which was thrown at him. Um, and you know he deserves a lot of credit for that. He's a he's a very well respected journalist and author. He's written books with some of the biggest names in football, and uh, for him to come on a live podcast and answer questions, uh, we, you know, with no filter, was uh, was I was impressed by it. Uh, we also have a live show on a Friday, which is our adult-only uh, comedy podcast, which is basically myself and stand-up comedian Ballistic Barry Phillips, uh, and we just literally uh, rip the news and the world to shreds in an X-rated and light-hearted way. We also have uh, weekly shows on MMA and boxing, and every Sunday we release new shows with uh, all new guests from our whole variety of series. We have all series on all sorts of different things. And uh, yeah, so the best way to support the channel is to subscribe, youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. It's free. If you press the subscribe button and click the bell, you get notifications every time we upload or go live. And uh, that means you'll get all the shows first. And of course, you can get the audio versions of every single show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, basically everywhere. You can download podcasts or radio shows. You will find us. And so today we're going to be talking mainly football, bit of this, bit of that. But uh, I'm looking forward to this. My uh, my guest today is uh, author and Cardiff City fan, Mr. Nick Fisk. Welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Sai. Good evening. Thanks for having me on. 
Sounds like sounds like you've got a lot going on, mate. Yeah, busy, busy. Especially, it's weird. Like obviously, with all this lockdown stuff, it's strange because obviously it's it's a horri- horrific situation. Um, and I, I'm trying to keep as busy as I can to keep my mind active and make sure my mental health stays as you know as good as it can. Um, yeah. But obviously, I'm finding it a little bit easier to get hold of some guests, which perhaps wouldn't yeah, be available to me because they're, guess, you know, they're at home. So and yeah, I got some got some real good ones coming over uh, over the next couple of weeks, and I got a couple which I can't talk about yet because I don't want to curse them. But you know, they could be massive, massive, massive guests. But uh, yeah, as we record this, uh, it's a couple of days before Danny Gabadon is coming on on Monday. But uh, yeah, we announced it today. Uh, he's coming right, on Monday, right. so what by the time by the time this comes out, Danny will have been on, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. He's one of my favourite Cardiff players of all time. But um, yeah, so let's talk about you for a bit, my friend. Um, Fair enough. So what I like to do with my guests, just uh, you know, for people who are not familiar with you or just not maybe not familiar with the book, is just I'm probably I'm probably one of your more obscure guests. <laughs> Yeah, but that I like. What I always say is, um, my podcast is about having real conversations with real people, whether that yeah. is someone who is not famous, completely you know, completely unknown, but wants to come on and talk about mental health, or they want to come on and talk about a, a book, or they want to you know whatever they want to talk about, or whether they're the world's pop star. My podcast is about having a real conversation with those people and talking about real things and not like Ooh. formal question, answer, question, answer. We'll mm. have a conversation and we'll see where it goes. Wherever it goes, it goes. Um, and I like it that way. And judging by the numbers growing uh, quickly, other people seem to like it as well. So that's good enough for me, as it were. Um, but what I like to do uh, with all guests is... I like to take them back to the very, very beginning of their of their lives, and they just tell us like a bit about their upbringing, a bit about where they're from, and you know, just a bit about themselves to start. So, uh, you take it away, Fair my enough. friend. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, actually, I was uh, I grew up in Bridgend. I was I was actually born in Zimbabwe. Uh, my mum grew up okay. there, um, and she she came over here to do uh, a nursing degree. I uh, met my dad. She was lucky, lucky enough to meet my dad. Um, and they went, they went back to Zimbabwe together and uh, built a house because my, my, my grandma was still living there at the time. Obviously, that was in the 70s, which was, uh, you know, quite a troubled time uh, for Rhodesia as it was at the time. Um, but we came, we, we, you know, we weren't there that long. We came back, I, I, I think I was about three when we, when we moved back here. My dad got a job in Wales, in, uh, in Cardiff. We, so we first moved to Cardiff. Uh, my younger brother was born in Cardiff, but then he, he got a new job in Bridgend, so we had to move schools. Um, so I grew in Bridgend. Uh, I was probably more of a rugby fan initially, because uh, obviously, again, you know, in the seventies, Bridgend had a fantastic uh, rugby team. Uh, yeah. Lots of famous names, you know, JPR, uh, Steve Fenwick, and that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I used to go and follow Bridgend, but, um, and, you know, and I've said this, I must admit, I have said this in my book, um, uh, The Blues Are Back in Town, that's, that's the, the, the book I've got out about Cardiff City, yeah. I have said that my very first football match was actually uh, watching the Jacks, um, when they were in the, fir- mm-hmm. the old first division, 
Um, I mean, in my defence, uh, it was it was it was Swansea against Spurs, and my dad was a Spurs fan. But uh, I think we did actually go in the. Uh, I think we were in the Swansea end. We weren't in the, in the Spurs end. And I, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure that if if Swansea had won that game, they'd have actually gone top of the league. It was relatively early on in the season, but they would have gone top of the league. But it was a draw. I think it was, it was either nil nil or one. I think it was one one. But um, and then I did go and see one or two other Swansea games, like a, a, a playoff game. Um, these were the days when they used to have the playoffs. You'd have one team from the the league above, and then the the, the, the teams from the, the league below. And Swansea got relegated. But but uh, yeah, no. But basically, I suppose by the time I was probably around about fifteen, sixteen. I started going along to Ninian Park and there was just something about the atmosphere in Ninian Park. Obviously in those days, pretty low attendances, you know, you could stand on the, on the, um, on a grain gen and, you know, be like a scattering of people. Uh, it's almost like there was social distancing back then, you know, <laughs> but, um, uh, and, and then, but then once you start, once you start um, getting into going to, going to the away games, then you then you really kind of, uh, you know, yeah, that's when you, your passion starts. Um, and and at the same time, also my teens, um, you know, I was getting into music, um, started getting more into indie music, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, like a lot of people, um, the Stone Roses blew up and that, that became a big thing. And um, the, the the two of them were, were a kind of a combined passion for for a few years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, like the seventies, there where you grew up in Wales, you know, rugby was, mm. it still is. Like in Wales, rugby is massive, isn't it? And and I yeah. think football has become more, much more prevalent over the last twenty or thirty years. But I mean, when I was growing up. So I'm what I'm 39 this year, and then um, you know, like my parents or my dad's, who was Welsh, and he, all his brothers and sisters, all obsessed with rugby. But for mm. me personally, I was I've never really been massively into rugby. Ironically, mm. I met my wife through watching a rugby match, and me and her both are like lifelong Cardiff City fans who don't mm. really like rugby. But we met yeah. through rugby. Which I think, is I think if you actually live in Cardiff, as I do now, you know, I've lived in Cardiff like all my adult life. Cardiff is different. I think Cardiff is different. I think Cardiff is more, it's always been more football orientated. And yeah. um, pretend, you know, it was definitely, uh, it was more about the rugby. Because, I mean, you know, I mean, it was the game that was played in schools, rugby, you know. So, so it was kind of what you, you knew growing up. Um, so really, um, you know, uh, you know, there, there there were people who played football in my school, Brintag and Bridgend, um, but they were kind of it was it was a it was a small sort of fairly exclusive sort of club, um, yeah. and you know, and then obviously you know in that school, you know, there was the, the, the people war torn between um, Cardiff and Swansea, living sort of basically between the yeah, two towns, um, yeah, um. But then, obviously, if you, obviously, if you live in Cardiff, then uh, the, yeah, it's different, the, then, isn't it? Yeah. So, did you, when you were like uh, growing up and that, did you play for uh, like, do you play football for a team? Um, I played for uh, my Cubs team. 
Yeah. Uh, didn't go to scouts. Um, and, you know, just played with my brothers and a couple of mates that down the, the local playing fields. But um, I didn't, I didn't play a lot of football in my teens. I, I played, you know, I, I played a bit of rugby. I wasn't even, I wasn't a particularly good rugby player. I used to play in the wing. Mm. Um, uh, and I, my, my ball handling errors, I were mm. dreadful. You know, I, they, they, you know, we, we'd be making a superb run towards the, I, it, it was, it, it was only, just for our, our very first trials uh, in Brintag, you know, in, in, when I was in the first year, what, what do they call it? And I haven't got any kids, so I don't know. The first year in, in comp, is that, is that year what, grade seven? Seven, right? yeah, year, year seven, that is. Year seven, right. Anyway, um, so, um, yeah, the very first trial, I scored three tries. God knows how I did that. Mm-hmm. But because of that, they stuck me in the A team. And I think they probably regretted that, to be honest, because then they then they found out that I really wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I mean, I, I played rugby, you know, for three or four years, and then really, I I kind of lost interest in playing sport. I I enjoyed the uh, art in school, you know. So yeah. I did art. I did an art A level, and that was, in a way, I sort of I suppose that was more of a focus for me than sport. But once I'd left school, um. Like I say, it was the main. The main. My main interest then was 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 music, and then getting more into following Cardiff. Yeah. So, you said about um, art. Were you also were you interested in writing at that sort of time? Yeah. Oh that yeah. Oh, that yeah. That as well. Yeah. I mean, because um, yeah, I uh, and this this I you know I've, I mentioned this a little bit in because uh, obviously I've got the, the football book out, but I've. You know, you said we could talk just a little. I've, 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 I've just completed an autobiography, um, which obviously goes through my life. Um, it touches on uh, various. It does. It does. As as you said, it does mention my mental health. I've had that little bit of issues with that over the years, being in and out of hospital once or twice. But um, what was that? Well, I was talking about more in my team. And you, oh, sorry, you asked about writing. Yeah. Yes, well. Yeah. And I, and I mentioned this. Um, I, I actually probably growing up, I always wanted to be a journalist. In fact, um, that was what I that was why what I kind of expected I was going to get into. Um, I mean, English, I suppose, was was probably the subject I did best at. Um, I did a I did a little bit of writing. I my, you know I mean I, I, another thing in my teens, you know, we had we had a spectrum. And uh, you know, all my mates were massively into computer games. Um, so uh, my brother and a couple of friends and I uh, put together a, a little computer games fanzine. Okay. Um, that's kind of cool. I don't know if you were into computer games. Did, did yeah, you have I, a Spectrum? I had, I had a Commodore sixty four. I did, oh, and, uh, and then I had well, a Amiga. It, was, it was better in many ways. Much better graphics. Uh, but then again, you know, there were some games specific to the spectrum which which were pretty good too you know but mm. but i mean we did we we covered the commodore as well but i never had one we did we, did, we got an amstrad later we started with the spectrum but we had a little magazine and but i don't know if you remember the, the magazine crash which i think just focused on on the on the spectrum wasn't it was it zap the yeah, commodore one i think it was crash yeah, zap and yeah. uh, there was another one which was like an overall one but i mean they, yeah um, I, you know, you but used to have the cassettes, didn't you, for the 
yeah, yeah. Was, we used to probably all, there was a there was a shop in Bridgend, which uh, people, anyone who's listening uh, from Bridgend, they might remember this. It's called Dukes of Hazard, where you okay. could rent out games, and it was pretty uh, explicit, really, what people would do. You'd just rent the game for a day or two for maybe a pound or two, yeah. and take it back and copy it on your you know on your cassette copy player. It, it was easy to copy those then, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But except, except Jet Set Willy, they had a, on Jet Set Willy. There was a special. There was this color coded thing that came with the with the thing that you 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 really so you really had to buy the original that. But anyway, oh, so we did this thing, we did this sort of fanzine for about maybe eight or nine, ten issues. Um, but then there was there was a fanzine that was based in London called The Bug, uh, and it was it was still it was very much you know just it was just a sort of photocopied thing. But I think maybe because it was based in London, they had a they had a much bigger readership. Mm. They they sell you know a few hundred or maybe even a thousand per issue, and that runs about fifty. And I did a little bit of writing for them, and got to meet them, and they were they were quite a friendly bunch. Uh, one of the main guys who, who runs it is a guy called Jeff Davy. He's a, he's quite a successful DJ now. Okay. Uh, he went for photojournalism, and then he he went on to become a DJ. Jeff Automatic is he's also known as. Um, but so there was there was that, and then I I did one issue of a of a sort of fanzine that was mostly mostly based around uh, the wedding present because I was a fan of them when I was younger, still am, you know. Uh, I saw D David Gedge, you know, the wedding present singer. He, he did a he did a thing for his sixtieth birthday just the other day, you know, one of these online um, broadcasts, which was, right, that okay. was quite fun. Yeah, rolling back the years, were you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he played a few classics, and in fact, I mean, he's because I, I did. I, I interviewed him back when I was about eighteen for this little fanzine, and uh, you know, even then, so say what he'd have been maybe in his thirties then. Um, he he dyed his hair black then, and he's continued to dye his hair black throughout his career. Is that he's just turned sixty, and he's finally allowed um, to show his grey hair. And he looked—he wow. actually—he looks pretty good. So yeah, but no, he also did quite a good thing. In fact, was um, they did a—they did a lottery ticket system uh, to raise money for um, people who are kind of um, part of his staff in a sense. That the maybe the road crew, who, right. who you know at the moment maybe just aren't getting struggling. Paid. So they did a good thing. But and they, the prizes were um, some really quite rare. Wedding present records, like um, one-off, um, what do you call test presents and that. Oh yeah, okay. Um, like yeah, but they were like Wicked. Hmm. So that but was, then, they raised uh, that money for the like the people who are not able to earn money now. Then definitely, yeah. No, it was a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So you were but, writing. Uh, you were and writing then, and from then eighteen. Cool, uh, sorry. You were writing by eighteen. You were, you know, you were writing for these fanzines, and yeah, you were really good. Yeah, I, I suppose I, 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 I always wanted to either be maybe a, a music journalist or a sports journalist. It was one of the two, you know, because like I say those are my sort of two passions. But um, neither of them really happened in the end. I mean, I just found, I mean, I didn't partly because of um, how I had to go in the hospital. I, I didn't finish my degree. Uh, so I suppose it might have been difficult for me to actually uh, get a job as a journalist because, you know, 
really for I think for a, especially say for a decent newspaper you probably and um, then and um, and now as well you probably would need a degree out of thought uh, unless you can get good experience you know like like any of these things it's difficult to get into these things you know but but um, yeah I mean I've I've continued to do bits and pieces of writing I've I've just you know I've done I've been involved um, with the, the poetry scene. Uh, you know, I've published bits and pieces of poetry. Um, I ran a magazine um, for three years called Square, which was uh, mostly based around poetry. Um, and then, oh, yeah, right. just so, um, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, what sort of po what sort of poetry was it? Like, um, well, it like um, more... go on. You you explain better than me. Yeah, um, sort of. Uh, Possibly, um, I, 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 not 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 necessarily. Uh, maybe exactly through choice. I do tend to write quite a lot of fairly topical stuff. I mean, I used to. I haven't the, the last three or four years. I've actually more or less stopped writing poetry altogether. Um, I did one the other day about uh, what it's been like for my cat uh, during the virus period, um, which yeah. is. I don't think life has changed for her at all, um, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but it's true. You know, if you're a no, cat, you don't want the news. You wouldn't know, would you? You know, no. And so long as you, you haven't just, got uh, cat friends that are dying, you know. <laughs> but um, she hasn't got any friends left anymore. I mean, she she had she had the two the two kittens. Uh, but since that, since then, there's not that many cats bother her these days. Yeah. Cats just like uh, they they just kind of eat and sleep, don't they? I'm a, I'm more of a dog person, I gotta be honest. But like that's right. probably oh, my, my, my mother's yeah, no, my mother's, uh, yeah, no, my mother's cat no, used to eat my arm. When yeah, I drunk. this is quite a lively cat. She she likes to play around quite a bit. I got a laser pen for her, um, but. Uh, yeah <laughs> so not sure how we got onto that but yeah no. so well, i mean you, you were, um, were asking my writing uh, uh yeah and like i say i've, I've done i've done uh I, I i've i've tried getting into um writing gig reviews mm. to be honest I, I don't know whether that's gone that well because um i did a few there were some which which did go well Um the ones that went the best really were when I when I, I I was a fan of the band, enjoyed the enjoyed the gig itself, and also if I if I made good notes, you know, old fashioned notes of pen and paper during yeah. the gig, and then I could get back and I I could write it up. But if if I wasn't particularly enjoying the gig, or if I didn't make notes, or you know, um, I'd find myself waffling a bit, and then you know I don't think people like that so much. So. I don't know. I've kind of. Another thing is, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, you know, there's no, there's not a lot of money in that sort of thing these days. You know, there's, there's, you know, unless again, unless you're writing for something like the Guardian, one of the bigger papers. Um, because I, 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 I did one or two for the Echo, and even they don't pay. You know, you get, you get yeah, a free yeah. ticket or best this place. And, you know, I've kind of decided for the effort um, that really, in fact, I'd probably rather buy a ticket for the gig 
and go to the gig and enjoy it uh, on its merits than have to worry about writing it for you know nothing more than say the price of the ticket you know yeah yeah of course i am um, there's a, f- a friend of mine uh who lives in america he runs uh or he, he my friend runs this uh it's like a mma and boxing and wrestling website which is a mm. you know it's a pretty big site and um the guy who owns the 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 site um he has got this motto where he says uh, that my time costs money. Um, my time is, yeah. you know, my time it, it means a lot to me. Whether it's if I put my time into something, then that you know, it's got an impact. I mean, on you know, my honestly, daily life. it's not like it's not like I'm a, I'm a materialistic person. Yeah, no, I don't, of course. I, I don't need I don't need a lot of money. But you, it's kind of like. Um, you, you maybe you so still need some incentive, you know. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you, you whilst you might not be motivated by you know having lots of money, mm. what you do need is you do need to pay your bills, and you do need to pay petrol or, or trans transport and buy food and you know all these yeah. you know different stuff. And the fact is, you know, if you're taking the time to go to the gig yeah. and make notes and you know that's that's your time. I mean, and that's yeah, but it's you know, it's, you know, you see, I, I think you, it's like you see photographers. There's a lot of sort of maybe semi-professional photographers, don't you? Who, who often or an artist as well, and they often say, don't they? You know that um, you know people are contacts and saying, oh, can I have that photo or can I have that bit of art for something? And and the, and they you know they, they'll never get paid anything and you know it's all very well doing things for the love isn't it you know but of course you know yeah if you have it's difficult like you know everyone the dream is to have a job or in a career which of something which you genuinely have a passion for and you love doing mm. but ultimately mm everybody's got bills and everyone's yeah. got to, everyone you know has got to pay bills and stuff um and it's very difficult once you become an adult with responsibilities and bills mm. and etc to do funny something though, for free when just when because when you, you love it to, if it um, takes a lot of time yeah when you go when you go back to talking about music um it's funny because like mm. like you know you're saying well i mean obviously both of us um we both grew up as as fans of indie music and I mean, certainly when I was growing up as a teenager, um, and then maybe into my twenties, uh, you know, like uh, as a fan of indie music, that the, there was something about um, the whole sort of indie ethos, wasn't there? Which was, um, which was very. I mean, you know, to 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 describe something as being commercial was almost a kind of insult, wasn't it? You know, um, yeah, so yeah. it was kind of like it. We, so that the, there was the. There was the idea that they definitely were doing it for the money. If, if anything, they were trying to be as obscure as possible, you know, um, with the yeah, sound yeah, the and everything. Hey, anti-establishment. Was, anti-establishment, that? exactly. Yeah, like, and everything was like anti-establishment. Yeah, but you know, um, and 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 I think that that's that that's partly maybe the difference between. That uh, that sort of indie attitude now, and now the attitude of bands these days, um, who uh, you know they're still in like your four piece typical guitar type of band, 
but um it's kind of like um you know they're still they're still they're still playing a certain style of music or that you know and they're bringing it and they're they, they got they might have similar styles of influence but i think there's a lot of bands that um that are um thinking that we that, look we want to do this as a career uh and they're thinking well if we're if we're gonna do it as a career we you know if we're not if we're not getting the money then what 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 do we do you know yeah of course yeah, and, and 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 equally, I think uh, artists, photographers, particularly uh, bands, they're looking for that mm. big break. So you know, in the, yeah. those early days when they're when you're in your teens, where you're looking for that big break or that big opportunity, it's, you, it's, you it's, are more willing all bit, and more yeah. able to give up free time, aren't you? Whereas yeah. you know, when, it's like all say, when you get break. into your mid twenties, is more difficult. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's you're you're right because it's like you know, even back in those days, um. You know, they say, say a band like the Wedding Present or the Inspiral Carpets, something like that. It was kind of like they had that attitude, um, but then they 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 got sort of success on the back of the attitude, and then you know, almost certainly they were able to get by um, and and became their, their their living. But 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 they would they you know they delicate balance. They you know they would still be able to maintain. Um, a certain um, something about the way that they projected themselves and the style of the music, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, maybe some, a band like the Wonder Stuff, for example, who, for me, you know, they did the, that one first album, and then straight after the first album, you know, they, they and and they got some success. The music just went downhill totally, you know. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't able to capture the same attitude and same. Mm. Um, what's the word? I suppose. Do you know? I wondered about because uh, there's a few other bands I think which kind of fall into that uh, same mm. sort of bracket where their early stuff is exceptional, and then yeah. maybe when they got their big deal, it's not as good. And I think sometimes yeah. it can be the uh, the improved sound equipment and audio recording mm. equipment. Like I know that sounds ridiculous, but for bands yeah, when they've possibly. got that grit, gritty attitude and the gritty sound to start, where they're using you know their own equipment in their own house, and then they yeah. move into like a big plush studio with all the best things, where they get a big deal. I do think that makes a difference to the way it sounds. And I mean, when I mean, get... personally, um, I think there's there's a lot to be said in in the actual the the person the, the producer. You know when they get into the mm. studio, and the actual pro the guys producing the album, even even the Stone Roses' first album. If you I mean if you listen to the demos of half of those songs on the album, the demos really don't sound that great. You know yeah. it was um it was it was the who what, who who did produce the, the album now? I can't can't think of his name off the top of my head now. But um um I but the the, the name of the Stone Roses album producer, I it's just slipped my mind. But I could take another example. You know, then Steve Albini when he produced the the, the Wedding Presents third album, and this is this is obviously their third album now. When they've 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 kind of they've mm. they've they've almost gone past the point of you know relatively made the success, and they've gone for an, a producer like Steve Albini, who's obviously produced the Pixies and stuff. And you know, Albini was a you know give a very very raw sound to to Sea Monsters, um, okay. 
and uh, you know, and that album would have sounded completely different if it had been with a different producer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and it's the, it's the vision of the producer as well as the band, yeah. isn't it? And like you say, yeah. maybe those Stone Roses uh, demo sound checked and all the early little snippets that we've heard mm. years later. John Lackey, that producer it was, John was still Lackey. able to. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to think of the surname. I knew it was John something. Yeah. I think it was John Lackey. Um, mm. He was able to to hear something in those demos and then yeah. turn it into something exceptional in that first of Roses album. And, yeah. and it, that's the key, isn't it? If it had been another producer, maybe they would have just gone with what the demo sounded, but a longer version mm. or a slightly, you know, in slightly more polished version and then it wouldn't yeah. have been what it turned out to be don't get me wrong the the talent of you know the 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 band as a whole is what made them who they were and their attitude yeah. the whole scene well, well, but you know, even then you know a lot of people would say that you know uh, of course the stone roses gigs were always kind of events but but they were oh yes I, I don't think they were ever really known as being a good live band in terms of producing a good live nope. sound you know what i mean yeah, so I got a funny story. I'm going to ask you about your story in a minute, but I just, mm. I went to see, um, so I, when I was a teenager, when I really found my love for the Stone Roses, they, mm. I had, I missed the them touring and then they split up. So yeah. I never got to see them play. Uh, I was just a little bit too young at the time of the Newport gig. And then yeah, I kind funny. of missed out on that. And then when Ian Brown released his first solo album, mm. which I loved, yeah. uh, I went to watch Ian Brown in Cardiff. Uh, and we went with a big group of lads. And me and my, my mate, Jamesy, did, did, we I think were, he did um, one... Sorry to interrupt me. I'll, I'll let yeah, you get on with it. But I think he did, he did do one very small gig in Newport TJ's just before oh, that. But anyway, carry on. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, no. So, uh, so we all went in a big group. Um me and my mate Jamesy were particularly, we loved Ian Brown and Stone Roses. We were bang into it. Whereas, you know, the other lads, they liked it. It was, you know, they were fans, but they weren't as mm. obsessive as what we were, particularly with Ian Brown. Mm. And um, we kind of got there. We had a few beers and Ian Brown, first few songs, was not good. <laughs> and uh, the majority of the guys, they were kind of like, oh, this is rubbish. This is really bad. This is dreadful. Whereas... In the end, me and, Jamesy, me, and, me, and, me and Jamesy just embraced it. And we were like, no, yeah. I've been, we've been waiting to watch Ian Brown for all these years. We've grown up through our teens. We're in our early 20s yeah. now. We wanna, we're want we finally seeing Ian Brown live. So we just I mean, next that time straight down to the front. Yeah. He's such a real character. But and it's just... Um, I just wish you get bloody singing lessons. I mean, it just, it just seems so. It's a He's simple thing, but you know, he has got better over the years. Just maybe yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I would yeah. say I would say on the comeback gigs, um, it was generally better than than he was uh, solo. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but yeah, hundred you know. percent. Mm. So. Obviously, my story was more of a personal uh, kind of story in relation to yeah. you know going to see Ian Brown and then embracing it despite the the sound issues, shall we say? Mm. Uh, but you have a story, uh, a very famous story, 
about yeah, the Stone Roses, the infamous Stone Roses uh, Newport gig, because it is infamous. Yeah. Everybody knows about her. Yeah, I guess. Well, um, basically, so obviously this is on the second coming tour, yeah. And I'd been to, uh, I, I ended up, I, I went to three gigs on that tour. I went, I was, this is, I was in the university in Reading, and uh, the first gig on the tour, I think, I think it was the first gig on the tour was Cambridge. wasn't too far from Reading, so I went to that. But I didn't have a ticket, and the tout was charging too much. Um, I think I, I think I actually claimed, tried to claim on the door that I was working for the Echo. Uh, but then they, they didn't find me on the guest list, couldn't get in, and I, th I think I just listened to a bit of it outside. But anyway, so that right, so the Newport game, we got along with a few friends. I had, I had a, a, a all right, sorry, mate, phone call. I'll try and go back a bit, right? So, uh, yeah, so we'd gone to the Newport gig. And, uh, you know, my, my, as I've already said, I mean, my two sort of combined passions at the time were, were the Stone Roses and Cardiff City. So I, I had a, a Stone Roses, I think it was the What, what the World's Waiting For t-shirt on underneath, and my gold Cardiff City away top on top. Uh, and I, to be honest, I might actually have been a little bit naive in those days, age about 21, something like that, uh, and not really considered um that you know newport county had particularly much of a following so i probably yeah. thought well okay not maybe not that many newport fans actually gonna be at the gig but anyway um yeah uh i was oh, yeah i was near the front but um i think i, I seem to remember it was actually I, I i i was particularly impressed by uh their version of breaking into heaven okay and it was at that point I, I decided to take the shirt off, threw it on stage, and uh, yeah, Ian Brown sort of picked it up, and uh, within a within a little bit of time, he, he actually decided to put it on, and uh, yeah, it was quite an overwhelming thing for me. Um, oh, I can imagine that must have been cool to see this guy wearing my shirt, you know. Um, but um, uh, but then. Uh, and you know, I think he had it on throughout the direct. You, you can see the YouTube if you look up the tears video from that gig. He's got it on for the duration of that song, um, and uh, yeah, you know, people starting bluebirds, bluebirds, and all that. And then, of course, you know, I suppose to be honest, the 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 re really the thing that made. I mean, there was the guy who took a photo because obviously people have phones then. There was a guy who took a, a photo of it, and that became quite a famous photo, and he made a bit of money off that. But, yeah, I, heard, um, um, I think Lakey mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, in some ways, it was the fight afterwards that was really the thing that maybe made it the whole thing sort of notorious. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had actually started walking away from the venue with my brother and that to get to the car. Yeah, and it was only sort of, as we we're approaching the car, I looked round and saw this thing going on. And my brother claims he doesn't remember this. My younger brother. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind, my brother's my younger brother's a bit tougher than me. He's a bit bigger and tougher than me. But okay. he said, no, no, we're not going back. Let's just get in the car and go home. Uh, but, um, you know, all that business would have been well documented in uh, the book by uh, another one of your guests, Tony. Yeah, who's the Soul Trooper. So, uh, so that, bit, that bit's documented in his book. 
whereas uh, the more the more regular stuff is is mentioned in mine yeah yeah so you know that must have been quite the experience to see ian brown not only wearing a cardiff city shirt but wearing your cardiff city shirt uh, on stage there's a bit more i can tell you in fact um because um i always assumed in fact that that maybe ian brown himself kept the shirt or something happened to it but it was only it was only in fact in fact one time he ian brown was on a, a some phone in on radio one about during his solo career, probably you know maybe about ten years after that gig, something like that, or yeah, somewhere something around that, five ten years after, and and I got to ask him a question. I asked him if he slapped the shirt, and he didn't. He didn't really give a very committal answer to that question on on the on the phoning. Oh. Anyway, about ten years after that, I think it might have been just around about the time that they announced that they were reforming. Something popped up in a forum somewhere where someone was saying that they knew the guy who actually had the shirt. And, um, and like I said, I was amazed because I never knew that he was still sort of around. This this the actual shirt, you know what I mean? And yeah. um, I, I somehow managed to get in contact with the guy. And he said, oh, yeah, it's, it's all true. I think it was his, maybe his son or his cousin or something had grabbed the shirt at the end of the gig. The shirt itself had been apparently it was, it was by the side of the uh, the drum kit, and his cousin, whatever, had grabbed it off the stage by the drum kit and had kept it, and then he had it. This guy, uh, and I, I was in email com, uh, communication with him for a little while, until um, and you know, and I, I, I did, so I said, uh, you know, we should we should run a story on this. Uh, we, we could run a store in this in the echo but anyway the guy sort of said well look i'm not totally sure it, it, it should be in the loft i might even have lost it in a house move he said Ugh. and then you know or he said his, he wasn't sure what, whether his wife had chucked it out or something yeah so the shirt i don't know where it is and basically the Aww. guy the guy stopped responding to emails i can't even remember his name he lives somewhere in the valleys, but um, yeah. So sadly, um, it's that, that that's that's it's all sort of got a bit lost. But I did mention to you, Sai, I've actually got because a couple of Christmas ago, my my younger brother, this my brother I was talking about, he uh, he um, he actually managed to find the same type of shirt for me on eBay as a Christmas present. Shall I shall I stick it on? Yeah, go for it, man. Wait, go hang on a sec. Hang on a minute. See, what would be nice is if you could get somehow get Ian Brown to sign it. <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. Ah, <laughs> uh. uh, there we go. Right, set the cap by him because look a bit yeah, ugly. There we go. Yeah. Right, there you go. Look, as you can see, it's the classic, I could not believe it. I swear. But I was over the moon. But <laughs> anyway, see, there's a badge. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, so, uh, I mean, who knows? It, perhaps this could even be the real one. A bit unlikely.
But um, I mean, actually, and yeah. if if the original one did ever turn up, if it's in its original state, I can tell you that there were two badges on the sleeve. There was a there was a, a British Heart Foundation badge. So I think there's a joke. I was I was trying to sort of wear my heart on my sleeve or something. And uh, and and one of those oh, right, badges that you could buy on the second coming tour. That they they were on the sleeve. But anyway, this particular one, mate. When you say get Ian Brown to sign it, you're not going to believe this now, right? Last year, mm -hmm. um, uh, so obviously you know Ian Brown had, had the new album Ripples out last year, which would I think it's a good album. But anyway, um, <clears throat> it is. He was doing he was doing a signing in a couple of record shops, and again, my my brother, you know, because he's also a bit of a fan, my brother. Um, I read about this signing in, in uh, Rough Trade in London right. and he said, well, obviously you should go along. Um, now, the only thing is, it was a ticket event and I didn't have a ticket. Um, and, it, and it was sold out. Uh, but uh, I, I went along. My ex-girlfriend was living in London at the time. So I visited it at the same time. But uh, in, in fact, I've done a little account on this on that website mentioned Louder Than War. But uh, so yes, I got to John, the... John Robs, John, the one that John Robs started. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so I got to okay. I got to the shop, the, the, the rough trade shop. And, um, you know, they said, no, look, sorry, if you haven't got a ticket, you, you're not going to be able to come in. Um, but, mate... Mm. And this, it was it was it was a freezing freezing cold day in February. Um, but I just I I was uh, I was hanging around the shop. This happened with uh, my ex's boyfriend. Um, I mean I I'm, I'm actually sort of still after a, a, a fairly bad breakup. But we're now pretty good friends, me and my ex, and I'm even sort of mm. friends with a, a fella, a new fella. But mm. anyway. Um, we the, the two of us were hanging around the shop, and I just kept asking people and asking people, and eventually, this this guy um, in this Stone Island jacket, that's me. You, what you looking for a spare ticket? And I, he goes, I've got this spare. He goes, I got this spare wristband, mate. I got a spare one. I think it was something to do with the fact that you you have to buy the album. Um, in order to get a wristband, you know, you have to order it in advance. Oh, right, and yeah, okay, got you. He's done it twice. He's done it twice or something. So we had a spare wristband. So, um, so, <laughs> and he didn't even want money for it. He just said, you can have it. Uh, so I joined the queue, and I was like, I was like in seventh heaven. Here I am, joining the queue. You know, I, I met uh, John Squire and um, uh, Manny a couple of times. I met Rennie. Mm. I'd never properly met Ian Brown, and here I was in the queue to get my copy of Ripple signed. And I was wearing this bloody shirt. Uh, I had the, I had a copy of the book uh, I wanted to give to Ian. I got in the queue. You know, there was a bit of a queue snaking outside the shop, but then we got inside the shop, uh, and it's still a bit of a queue. And there he is in the distance. And finally, it's my turn. And I, you know, I I was. Genuinely, Star Trek generally was, uh, but obviously, yeah. My brother had told me to get the shirt signed, but I swear, I, I, I had a bit of a chat with him. I was kind of aware there's still people behind me, and I didn't want to spend too long. 
and yeah, yeah, cool. all the things I wanted to say to him, mate, they just completely went out of my mind. We we talked oh, a little bit nightmare. about the Newport gig, and uh, he yeah. again, there's all because it's funny with these things. There's all there'll always be new things that you never knew. He was talking about some guy called Big Benji. Oh yeah, my mate Big Benji was there, and uh, apparently this is Benji. I think it was out of all out of the band Audio Web was at the gig or something. All oh, right, okay, yeah. But anyway, um, <laughs> he was such a lovely guy. He really was. I mean, you know. That that nonsense people say about never meeting heroes. Having met all the Stone Roses, they're all lovely people. And Ian Brad, he was so nice. And you know, he, he, signed, he signed my album, but I just, I, I just completely forgot. Even though I'm wearing a shirt, I sewed in the shirt. I somehow forgot to ask him, as my brother said I should do, to, to get him to sign the shirt. So there we go. Nightmare. <laughs> yeah, you should have. You got to get. You should have had that signed and then framed it, or signed and framed. Get get the picture signed. Get get a copy of the picture, and uh, and get that signed and framed. But you know what? There's. um, I was just having a quick look to see if I could get a nice clear image of the of Ian Brown in it, so I could show it on screen next year. Mm. And um, there's. uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. There's. uh, there's I don't look anything like that. I'd be in a Stone Roses tribute band. Don't I mean? There's, um, there's the, I don't know if you're familiar with him. I think he's Welsh, actually. There's this artist called, um, a guy called Minty. Um, and he does, like, oh, kind yeah. of caricatures uh, on different stuff. He does, like, know, famous incidents. Him, yeah. And then and, um, he's done one on the Ian Brown and the Yellow Echo card. Yeah, t-shirt. I have seen that. I was going to buy stuff. that. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're, like, uh, you, you instigated, like, this cult uh cult icon situation well mate i'm not being funny you know you see you see you see a lot of clubs with with the lemon in their flags and all this stuff so yeah you yeah. know I, and, but it's not really that to me i mean it, it, the, the band but you know there was definitely something about um you know music within the the football following the, there's definitely something about it but you know what? That the original shirt that I mentioned, I I was because um, I was going to say the the first time I met uh, your your previous guest Tony Tony Rivers, mm. I've got a bit of a story about that because um, I was it was it was a New Year's Day uh, about six seven years ago, and I don't know if you ever knew a guy called Dom Dom Stockiler. Um, no, sadly, really sadly really. passed away just a year or two ago. But he ran quite a good mm. website called Welsh Icons. Don't know if okay. you ever saw that one. He used to get. I, I've, re- I've, yeah, I've come across it back in the yeah. day. Yeah. Anyway, he was also in a Blondie tribute band who was playing mm. at, funny enough, the Mountain Ash Inn on, on New Year's Day about six, seven years ago. All oh, right, great. They but I went along to support him. And, uh, you know, there was all this kind of city memorabilia around the pub. So I spoke to um, I spoke to one of the bar ladies and uh, and they said, oh, well, you have to speak to Tony, the manager, you know. And she said, oh, he's just outside the front at the moment. So I went and spoke to, spoke to him and, you know, we chatted for a bit about Cardiff and that. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, add me on Facebook if you like. And, I, and he said, uh, oh, it's, it's Tony Rivers. And I'm like, what? Tony, you're Tony Rivers. You know what I mean, <laughs> the guy who wrote the bloody Soul Crew book. You know what I mean? I was, I was, I was a bit, uh, I was a bit taken aback. I must admit. 
because I, you know, I've, yeah. I've always, uh, I've always had, you know, like I say, a bit of respect for people for the people who wrote that book because it was, it was a, it was, it was uh, the the fact that it, the, the fact that the book kind of um, just blew the whole thing wide open. Do you know what I mean? Because because up till that book came out, you know, the Soul Crew amongst people who weren't a part of the Soul Crew, it was. It, it's generally something that was talked about in quite harsh tones. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. but once the book came out, it it, it kind of um, opened things up more. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, and I think um, it was a uh, slightly ahead of its time. Like now, you get these kind of football books, football type books. They're all over the place. Every every everyone's got one. Whereas yeah. back then, there was only a few really. Um, and the, you know, this one came out. And what I like about it. Is obviously it, it's based in Cardiff, which I you know I like I enjoy that aspect of it. But what I like about it is it's about the the culture. It's not just about that that side of it. It's about the music. Yeah. It's about the culture. It's about the clothing. It's about the casual scene, and that's yeah. what I find. I'm not, I'm not based in Cardiff. I've always found. Uh, yeah, I find that that aspect of it more more interesting for me personally. Yeah. I've always been. More interested in the clothes and the in the music mm. and the the casual scene. I don't know if there's uh, I don't know if you ever met or I, I think he'd, he'd probably do an interview with you, mate. Uh, Mike Goff. Mike, have you ever met him? No. He, he's got a book called um, Patches, Checks, and Violence. It's, it's quite. It's, okay. it, was, it was it was only published through Lulu, uh, but you can probably still get hold okay. of it, and that's. Um, Again, it, it you know it, it's it's it, it really covers. He he's, he's he was very much into his clothing and stuff. So yeah, it does cover yeah. the whole yeah. But I, I've run into him at uh, I, I ran into him at a at a, a Stone Roses tribute gig once, and he's okay. <laughs> he's a funny character. He's a very funny guy. Nice chap though. Yeah, but I mean you know you well yeah. So um. When, how old were you when you first uh, first went and kind of, or when you first started regularly going to see Cardiff City? Uh, well, like I say, at home, it would have been um, around about 16 or so. Uh, and then, and then you know, within a season or two, I, I'd be starting to go to a couple of away games per season. Um, when I was when I was in Reading Uni, uh Another friend who was also in Reading, and I went to a couple of um, games, sort of in and around London. Um, uh, when I'm when I was back in Cardiff, then um, at a party, I met I met a guy called Neil, who was a bit of a loony. Um, mm. he, he was one of those guys who um, who uh, got the whole of the Bob Banks singing. You know, we mm. we stand at the back of F Block, and he was. Lot, everyone would would have remembered him from, from the yeah. F block days. He was he was definitely the loudest person in the in the F block. <clears throat> but again, he, he he wouldn't consider himself to be anything like a hooligan. But um, but we did go to quite a few away games together. Um, sometimes on coaches, sometimes on the train. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember I, I, there was one. We went to we went to Bristol away one time, and. Um, I mean, I mean, Neil Neil would nearly always be wearing a, a replica shirt to away games. You know, he he was 
he was he was he was he was unashamedly a, a more of a football fan rather than worrying about the other stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. But we, I swear, we were the only people, and there were two or three Cardiffs jam packed, all Cardiff fans. <clears throat> we hadn't paid. I think a lot of people actually had tickets, but anyway, but every. Every other person on the train was like, because this is the day when it, you know it was extremely prevalent. But every other person on the train was wearing either Burberry or Aquascutum, right? Mm -hmm. And as we got literally, and as we got off the stage off off the train at Bristol, and obviously then there's a police escort to the ground to Bristol City, and and Neil, I mean Neil would Neil would chat like quite friendly with the. With the police, he, he didn't give a monkeys. You know, he 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 he, he sort of had disregard for the notion that um, that he was doing anything wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But that and, and there was there was a little bit of arty party after the game. Um, I remember I remember what so Anis, Anis was there and he was sort of, sort of orchestrating things a little bit. Um, but but as we all marched back to the to the station to go to go back to Cardiff. It was mm. quite funny because there was like it, it, it really was. It was almost like some, like a sort of uh, military operation because you had these lads at the front, all in the Burberry and all that, and they'd yeah. be going so crew, so crew. And then and then we had our lot, which were sort of you know maybe the more regular fans, and we'd be going bluebirds, bluebirds. But it was kind of like it was kind of like there was like these different. It's almost like we were doing things. Like I say, they were like the front line. Do you know what I mean? And we were the, we were the. We, it really, it was quite comical. Yeah, yeah. So the book, uh, the blues are back in town. Yeah. Um, when did you? Oh, yeah. I guess when did you start <laughs> uh, putting that together, and how did it? How did it come about? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, um, I mean, I what what had happened was I done I done like because the third section. Sorry, uh, no, is it the other one? The second section of the book um, is the book's in four sections. The second section of the book is uh, most of the writing that I'd done prior to the book coming out. But basically, I done I done these pieces. Which I jokingly called uh, the sad crew. Uh, you know, the, the reason that came about was just because um, I, I started a job um, in a call centre, and the day I started, there was a girl who was one of the managers, and she'd heard I was a Cardiff fan, so she said to me, "Oh, are you in the soul crew?" So I jokingly said, "No, I'm in the sad crew," mm -hmm. and um, and it kind of stuck. So That's it was great. it was it wasn't meant to be like a piss take, but it was kind of a I just. Because I do remember there was a guy um, who had been involved with the Valley Rams. I think his name was Gwyn. Um, or, you know, I knew a little bit. Um, and I do remember him always saying that it would be funny for um, for one of the the regular, so-called regular fans. Yeah, so, so Gwyn had said uh, that it would be funny for uh, a, a regular Cardiff fan to bring a book out. Or he thought, oh, I bet it'll happen. So I actually decided after Gwyn had said that, I thought, well, maybe I could do that. I could, I could fit that role, you know. Um, so, um, I mean, it was kind of from the perspective, like I say, and, and in, in fact, then when the book did come out, um, 
that most people they you know it's just kind of, it's kind of like there's so many kind of they'll always they'll straight say they'll straight away say oh is it to do with the soul crew is it a hooligan book and i'll just say mm. mate to be honest it's not you know because it's like it's it's it's, it's a more up-to-date thing you know it's not so um but i mean but the writing i'd done was was just about my experiences over the last 20 years of following cardiff you know yeah uh, and it, you know it wasn't at all in any way disrespecting the hooligan scene you know because as i've said you know it was it, it, it that that whole scene did add to the atmosphere and so forth. Um, but but anyway, so I done this writing. I submitted it to this guy who ran Party and Books, and uh, he was interested. But I don't. I think maybe he he didn't necessarily want the whole book to be like that. What he basically decided was that I should keep a blog over the, the particular season that we were in. Uh, it was the season that we first got relegated for the Premiership. I think he was probably hoping that we that we'd get promoted that season, yeah. And then but we'd go on the back of that. But you know, it was a it was a very mediocre season in most ways, oh, yeah. <clears throat> except it was this season, of course, that we went back to blue. So that was the reason for the title of the book, and um, and it, it became large a large focus of the book. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the third section, um, I think I've titled it something like "The Battle for Blue," was about how we campaigned uh, to go back to blue, um, people who were involved in doing that, um, and and really the the whole saga, which, which for me it was a disgrace at the time, so and, and a massive, absolutely massive relief, mate, because I didn't necessarily think it was going to happen quite so quickly as it did. But when it actually happened, it went back to blue. I was just, it was like, I yeah, I would say in terms of um, big events, and um, you know, a card of going back to blue would be like the Stone Roses reforming. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Big event. Yeah. yeah. Oh, huge. Um, mm. So a couple of questions about the, the rebrand. Um, mm. First of all, the statement, uh, I guess, is I do believe that Cardiff City would still be in red now if they had stayed in the Premier League and cemented their place in the Premier League, um, mm. if they had done what Stoke City did for a few, like, 10 years. Um, the reason I think that is because what you found is is uh, once Cardiff were pretty much down that season before and the following mm. season where you had Solskjaer and, and then you had Russell Slade, is mm. the, the, the crowds were dwindling and not just... The crowd mm, but also the the, the 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 vibe was getting more and more negative. Oh, the atmosphere by... was shocking, wasn't it? It was appalling. Yeah. So I do believe that if you know if we'd cemented a place in the Premier League and we'd cemented it mm. for years to come, I do believe that there would have been younger fans who would have been happy. Oh, I don't care if we're yeah. playing in red. And... Do you think almost in a way, potentially, uh, it might have been a, in terms of. In terms of going back to blue, you think it might be potentially a good thing that we got relegated in a way. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I think I think um, you got to bear in mind. I mean, the the day we got promoted, even even the the the, the, the game where we got promoted, um, there was still a lot of people, you know, who were pretty uh, pretty anti tan, you know, and all oh, yeah. through that season. Um, 
but uh, and you know and there were you know there was there was there was a lot of campaigning going on all the way through there were protests before a lot of the games you know and i think i think they they you know they they had to listen eventually yeah yeah i think did you um, get involved in the in the protests to to, to yeah fabric yeah yeah i was part of most of them I mean, I mean, this is another thing that you have to ha say hats off to Anis for, because you know a lot of that uh, started on his message board. There were other people doing things, you know. There was a sticker campaign and all sorts of things, but I mean, um, it was basically Anis who, who would be at the front of the um, the the, the actual protests. He orchest orchestrated the whole protests, and um, you know, well, and I this think, is um, on Sean. Uh, what's her name? Sean Branson. Uh, did a lot of uh, organising with the protests yeah. as well. I think she might have been the person who, um, who 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 put together the the billboard. Is that right? Yeah, I think she did the billboard, the and billboard? I think she organised yeah. some of the meetings in Canton and and did a lot of the speaking. Um, you know, yeah. at, the meeting, at the meetings and things like that. At the end of the day, yeah, but Anna sort of pulled his weight in terms of getting the protests going. I think. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would have thought so. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. he's a, a well a well known person. Yeah, so I exactly, think, yeah, yeah. you know, these people who are well known are the people mm. which fans are likely to get behind. Um, how did you feel when uh, when the rebrand was initially announced? I, I just I couldn't believe it. I mean, I mean, there was a meeting in. Um, uh, I think it was the Cate's Community Centre, which I went to, where people went along to discuss it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were somewhere between like 50 and 100 people there. And um, there was a guy who came from the 1927 Club in London, which is okay. disbanded now. They basically disbanded, I think, basically because they were so appalled at the rebrand, apart from anything else. But he was not a, a well-known person at all. But, you know, he spoke reasonably well. But anyway, there were a couple of people there, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I, I don't want to start. I, I, I won't even say the names, but you know, because I, I don't want to start bringing that up again. But there were a couple of people there who, um, who, completely unknown to anybody who was part of that meeting, had gone along actually to disrupt the meeting. Um, right, okay. So they were, they, they were actually pro the the the, the, the rebrand because. Uh, okay, they had a case. They said, "Look, if we don't get ahead, if we, if we go ahead with this, we've got a very good chance of getting promoted. I mean, if, if we don't go ahead, we we'll, we won't." Well, it was that, uh, and, and that said, promise of hundred million, wasn't it? The yeah, but personally, I, I could not understand why we couldn't have that money, um, and and not change the color, because at the end of the day, um, huh? Of course, yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they, 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 there was never, there was never a, a proper reason given for the change of colour. You know, they're saying that oh, it was this lucky colour, or um, there's that. And the other. I, I don't personally believe it was because it was lucky colour. I don't think, I don't think that's a sufficient reason. I think, I think it was probably more. My personal thing is most likely reason was he liked the idea of us potentially looking like Man United. I reckon that was that was more likely the reason. Yeah, I think uh, also uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, um, those shirts sell mm. in the millions yeah. in yeah. Uh, Malaysia and the Far East. Um, 
Yeah, but then he I must think. he must have then also seen and then you know within within a season or two they just were not selling any red shirts, you know. Well, no, so they must have realized that, that backfired, you know. And you know, ironically, if they had just brought in um, a red away kit, you mm. would have had a lot more. I don't even want that. Mate, well, the, the, the thing the, is, I mean, they've had red away kits over the years. Anyway, oh, I know, I know. So if they had just brought in a red away kit, no one would have thought any different of it, and you would have had much yeah, more red yeah. shirts in the crowd from that yeah. than you did from yeah. forcing. But, uh, mate, honestly, forcing I, 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 I'm guessing maybe you haven't read this section of the book, but. Um, you know, I I actually put personally, I went I went to the extent of banning anything red from my from my house. <laughs> yeah, I um, I know people who now have still not gone back, and they will not go yeah. back until that's a bit uh, sad until for me. He, until Vincent um, Tan leaves because hmm. they were so disgusted I mean, by it and upset. Oh, by it. that that for me is a bit excessive. I can understand people who say they don't like the new stadium. Uh, and don't go because of that, because the new stadium isn't as good as an Indian Park. I understand that, but you know, if you still want to go along and watch your football team and your football team's yeah. card, if you know, I, mean, I think, yeah. I think the um, so for me, I um, I stopped going for a while because um, when we were in the Premier League, I went to watch a couple of games, um, and it just didn't. There was something I, I just didn't. It wasn't clicking for me. I wasn't enjoying it. I didn't feel yeah. like, and you know, there was other stuff going on. I, I had health problems, and and you know, there was various reasons, but it wasn't clicking for me. I wasn't enjoying it. I was yeah. so pissed off about the rebrand. I was fed up of it. I was. I felt betrayed. I was upset about it. And every time I went to the yeah. football, it was winding me up more. So in the end, yeah. I stopped. Stopped going. Um, I, I have been to a, a few more games. Uh, you know, recently I took my son back uh, in February. I'm still not back to where I was. I'm uh, yeah, I'm still not back to where I was, where I'm going yeah. every week and stuff. Cool. It just wasn't clicking for me, so I stopped going. And then just recently, I've kind of started to ease my way back in because my youngest son has wanted to go. Um, and you know, start watching with his friends and stuff. So we, we, yeah. where I took him on his birthday in February. So I'm kind of easing my way back. I'm still, yeah. Um, I, I, I do I mean, like. I understand people who won't go back until Vincent Tan leaves. I, I really do. But yeah. it's, it's. I think that what I've grown to understand over yeah. it is, is just it's a complete personal choice. For some people, they yeah. felt, you know, I can't go anymore. I feel yeah. you know really betrayed. Some people were like, "Well, I just want to support Cardiff City, no matter what colour it mm. is." Some people were somewhere in the middle, and it's just you know people have got different feelings of it. What is sad yeah. is that I know of at least a couple of friendships which broke up over it, and they still yeah. don't speak to each other because they fell yeah. over, I, fell I, out I, over a rebrand. I had friends who embraced the red, and it, it was a bit tricky, but. Um, Anyway, I mean, the thing is, I tell you what, because how long we've we been at the ground now, but I think it's about 11 seasons, isn't it? But anyway, yeah. I've got to be honest with me, I still haven't, I still even, haven't even decided which which um, section of the ground I really like going to. <laughs> because um, I suppose in terms of enjoying the atmosphere, it's best to go in the canton where people stand and sing. 
Yes. But um, obviously you're behind the goal, so you haven't got such a good view, and you're very far from the away fans. So there's, like you said, there's not there's not the banter. Um, I mean, if you if you've got kids, I suppose you, you you'd probably go in the in the family stand. Um, but obviously there's, there's not much of an atmosphere there. There's not much of an atmosphere in the Bob Bank either, really, because there's not many people really singing in the Bob Bank, and, and there's not much atmosphere in the grandstand. I, I mean, I, ha I have had, I've had a season ticket in the grandstand, I've had a season ticket mostly, mostly in the Bob Bank, and I've and I've and I've gone in the Canton. But you know, whereas um, at Ninian Park, at Ninian Park, you were kind of sports of choice. It's like anywhere you went round was 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 fantastic for the atmosphere. But for everything, I mean, I mostly I mostly went in the ball bank for the for the uh, Ninian Park. But you know, say for cup games, um, you know, when, when you when you weren't using your season, I might go in the Grangeend, sometimes even the Canton or whatever. Um, you know, whereas yeah, at, at the at the new Cardiff Stadium, you, you kind of like you, you just it's difficult to know where to go. Yeah, it's you know? difficult. And what one yeah. of the things I don't like about the new stadium is that the the loudest portion of the Cardiff fans are the furthest away from the away fans, which means yeah. you eliminate completely that uh, the yeah. banter between away fans and home fans. Yeah, we, we because that's part that of football. I, I mean, um, I, cause I actually went to a meeting uh, that was run by um, you know one of the officials at the club. Uh, okay. Just before the start of the the first season, when the stadium was built, oh. and it was, it was kind of a, you know one of these sort of fans get together meet and have a bit of discussion, yeah. and it, you know this issue was brought up with with the pe with the officials at the time. It's like why have you got this situation where you've got this singing section so far from the away fans, and and they're you know they they. they He's basically talking about how they were basically trying to orchestrate um, the idea of it becoming a, more of a family-friendly club, and and this would help for that purpose. And you know, to hell with the fact that the atmosphere won't be so good, you know. Yeah, see, to me, I think you can have both because just mm. because the away fans uh, are a bit closer to the to the loudest part of the home fans doesn't mean mm. that the, there's going to be violence. All it means is that yeah, the atmosphere is going to be better and louder. Um, yeah. And I just feel that it's, it's, Cardiff City is not an intimidating place for away teams to come any longer. No. Whereas I, Ninian Park, no, you ask any good. footballer. You know, the, the amount of away fans that come to Cardiff now and can legitimately sing, um, you know, that we're a library and that sort of thing, never happened in the past. Oh, no. <laughs> You you'd never have a away fan singing that we were quiet in the past, you know. No, 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 no way. And I and 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 all the footballers I've spoken to, they comment on you know how Ninian Park as an away player was just horrific to play at. They yeah. just the yeah. atmosphere was hostile. It was close in. It was it was mm. all these things. It was difficult to concentrate and keep their focus on the game. You lose mm. all that, and you know. That's part of football, and I, that is one of the parts of football which I'm sad that we have lost. I'm not saying yeah. that you know we should in, encourage violence or anything like that, but a bit of mm. hostility and and stuff is okay uh, as long as yeah. it's channeled yeah. in the correct way, and you know as long yeah. as the chants are not 
racist and they're not, you know, things which are unacceptable, then mm. I mean, I, I mean, the like, issue? you know, and uh, I mean, say for example, they they were they did allow more, and obviously the, you know, people still do it a bit, stand and sing, say in the in the in the uh, the bottom of the stand next to the way fan. I mean, the fact that they've got, um, you know, there's the there's the physical. Because I, I think that's just where there's like a sort of the, a tunnel into the ground, isn't it? So that it's from a purely physical point of view, it's almost impossible mm. for the fans to actually get get at each other in the stands anyway. So yes, you know, yeah, yeah. This it's not like um, you know they're right on top of each other when they are next to yeah. each other. There's a massive yeah. uh, segregation. Um, yeah. So I ask all my football guests this, and it is. Um, what would you do if you were in charge with the remainder of the football season with this pandemic? Um, you know, would you void it all? Would you? Would you just play it whenever it can be played? I mean, the, the, the only the only thing that, that, that you know, I'm not a Liverpool fan at all, but you know, you, you obviously have to give Liverpool the title, the Premier League title. Um, but um, you know, which which. You know, which obviously that's different to some countries because because I don't think, as far as I know, there's another team so far ahead in the league. Celtic, I think, where you you know where you just have to do that. You know, as far as playing the fixture, I, I actually had a dream, in fact, um, where uh, they were playing. A, I think it must have been a Cardiff game at a neutral venue, and I somehow somehow had a somehow I was on a coach going to the ground. And I, I, which I don't think they would allow, but so, so I got to go to one of these games at a neutral venue. So I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I, you know, the whole thing is that, isn't it? I mean, um, I don't know whether I, I, I don't know whether maybe the best solution would be to um, uh, just pick it up in, in 2021 where we left off in 2020. I don't know, mate. We're talking for a long time, but the thing is, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they may be able to get us out of this situation within, you know, five to six weeks in terms of uh, starting to open stuff up again and allowing people go to go back to work and so forth, um, which which would be during the closed season. Mm. So then, um, I don't know. I, to be honest, you know, you're not the right person to ask me. I, I, I mean, the thing is, we've seen we've seen so many things proposed. It's actually it has started to annoy me a little bit now. I think they should have really settled on this now. But the difficulty is, I think, I think the reason why they haven't settled on it, and I'd say the difficulty is, is, is that because we're all in the dark, yeah. and it's very difficult to make decisions so long as we're still in the dark. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, now, um, so I believe uh, France, uh, Holland, I think Spain are on the brink of doing it if they haven't already, just voiding the season. I believe, I'm a yeah. firm believer that you can't give out uh, any championships, you can't promote, you can't relegate if you don't complete the season because you just can't, yeah. unless it's mathematically. No, because, I mean, no, I, I, unless they, if they'd mathematically won it, then yes. They have. Like, but yeah, they haven't. They, they lose every game, and Man City win every game. I mean, I, no, I, I get that, but you can't, yeah. you can't give them a trophy when. And I don't but even I, think I, Liverpool I, fans I, would I, want I, it that way. 
I, I, I'm assuming the bookies haven't paid out yet, but you know they always used to pay out like yeah. man, man United fans early. Like I, I bet you it would probably just be after the very next game. They'd they'd have paid everyone out. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think they need. I think they only need three wins. But I mean, mm. the problem you've got, and I, I'm only going to touch on this very very briefly. But uh, yeah. in my opinion, FIFA should have come out and said, right, we are voiding the season. The transfer window yeah. is open. We're hoping to start the new season on time in September, so everybody yeah. knows where they stand. Everybody the knows exactly is. what's happening. Yeah. But problem, you've got France and Holland and Spain uh, who avoid their season now. The yeah. non-league down has void their season, but the Premier League and the Championship—they're so desperate to, to not lose yeah. their TV money or pay yeah, their TV so. money back that they're. They're like clinging on to just we're going to finish it in ten days and um, we're going to ram it into a I, tournament. I'm sure it's not just about money, but the problem is is that really we and, and and this applies to all of us, not just bosses of football leagues, or whatever. But I mean, we 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 we've all basically thrown ourselves at the mercy of the government. It's like yeah, it's like no situation ever before. We 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 so it's 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 virtually impossible to make. Any kind of mid to long term uh, um, uh, decisions because we just we just don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. You just don't. You don't know whether it's going to be a week. You don't know whether it's going to be mm. a year. You don't know how long it's going to last, um, yeah. which is problematic. And the thing is, it can't be like a, a never ending. Or we'll finish it when we can. We'll finish it when we can. There's got to be a cut off date. And also, the, mm. if you're talking like. I saw someone say the other day, well, it doesn't matter. As long as we get it done by the end of August, we can start the next season in September. But mm-hmm. if that means that, that players could be playing like four years with no break because you've got the Euros and the Olympics next year, mm-hmm. then you've got the African Cup of Nations yeah. and something else the year after. And so they're literally non-stop. Only, only, yeah. only, what, six or seven weeks ago, you know, we, we weren't certain that the Euros were going to be cancelled. You know what I mean? No. Now and now it's like, it's like everything that's going to happen in the next few months. It's kind of like you know it's going to be cancelled. So, uh... Yeah, scary times. Um, so, uh, are people able to uh, still purchase the, the Blues are back in town? Yeah, I actually, uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it'll be available on the Parthian Books website. Okay, um, so if you um, if you send me a link, I'll uh, I'll put a link in the description so people can yeah, buy it. Uh, it is it is still on Amazon, but yeah, I think it'd be nice if people bought from the Parthian website. And then I, there's a few on eBay. In fact, there's a few a few that are over the cover price on eBay. But um, I saw one cheeky guy. Uh, he was selling it, and it was just below the cover price. And he said, "Unwanted gift on eBay, <laughs> not read. Unwanted gift." But yeah. and I thought. Oh, I do remember selling one to a woman who whose uh, son or relative was was a Swansea fan, so she was going to get it for, for him as a joke. Ah, right, so okay. I wondered whether that was him. But this guy's username was something like 1927 Bird. So uh, ah, maybe, right. maybe, so maybe not. not. Maybe he's not a reader. Yeah, <laughs> could be that. Could be that. Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, Nick, thank you for joining me, my friend. Uh, you could, anything you'd like to plug or? Well, if anyone's interested in hearing about my um, my life, which I've called God, gospel and gossip, 
which is uh, uh, online. Uh, if they go to my Facebook page, there's a link on there, but it's, it's on a website called Smashed Words. But I think if you just put, yeah, if you probably put Gospel and Gossip, my name, or Gospel and Gossip, um, uh, Smashed Words, you'll, you'll, you'll get it in the search. And you can download it online. In fact, and, that, and that's for free at the moment. Okay. Um, may come out as a book at some point. Maybe with party. I don't know yet. But that's okay. free at the moment. Um, and you know, and there's things that that I cover in there, which we we didn't really touch on that much in. But like, like encounters I've had to do with uh, higher powers. Well, I was going to just say that we um, you mentioned and, and, me and before. Maybe for another time. Yeah, yeah, indeed. We'll definitely do. Uh, we'll talk some uh, mental health maybe next time. But I was yeah. going to just ask you that literally just before um, just before we do finish because. Uh, you mentioned to me before we started recording that you had uh, grown up an atheist and then you'd had, mm. um, I can't remember the wording you used, uh, an experience with a, a yeah. higher power. Um, and then obviously you... you it may have been drug-related, but I'm not... Uh, uh, right, okay. To be honest, as I say that, I, I was a bit high at the time this experience happened. But I, I, the thing is, I distinctly remember thinking... That it was not at all related, you know, to yeah. being a bit high. You know what I mean? So, well, they do say that uh, the drugs op only open the mind to these types of experiences. They don't always, mm. you know, cause them. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, certainly, so. You know, if you would like to get into it quick, very briefly for five minutes, you can. Or if you would like to leave it for another time, yeah. we can also do. Yeah. That. Well, I mean. Yeah, no. Basically, um, I, I, it was a friend's birthday. As I say, we got we, we got a bit stoned. I got home uh, to our house where I lived in Bridgend at the time, um, and basically um, imagined. But it, honestly, it, it was almost as if it was clear as day. God, who I didn't previously believe in, uh, although I, I'd also I'd also dabbled in a bit of acid at the last Glastonbury a couple of months before. So. Maybe leading up to that, I started having sort of ideas about angels. Yeah, no. but anyway, um, clear as day, I imagine, or, or, or I, I thought God said to me, "Name your God." Okay. And uh, it took me a while to sort of consider and come up with an answer. I tell you what, that I will. I'll leave. If anyone wants to read the book, they can find out what I, who I named. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What a teaser. I what it a wasn't teaser. The <laughs> Although it could have been. He's probably, probably, probably in the top five. Possibly. <laughs> so, um, uh, where can the people find you on social media, Nick? Uh, well, I don't, I don't really use Twitter that much. I've got a Twitter account, which is uh, Mr. Nick Fisk. Uh, but, uh, yeah, always Facebook. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I'll drop links to the books in my in the description when this episode goes out and uh, you can find us uh, subscribe youtube.com slash ace podcast nation that is truly the best way to support the channel helps us keep growing and the more we grow the better guests we'll get the more people we'll get and um, we're working on a couple of uh, interesting guests uh, there's a couple of really really big names and uh, there's also a couple which will shock people and there is also one which will be fascinating, fascinating. And uh, there might even be one which has been mentioned 
during this conversation. Ron well, Rob, be good. Go I'm not Robin, gonna tell Robin. anyone who it is because I don't want to kill you. Nick, right. thank you for joining me, my friend. I really do appreciate your time. It's been great, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. And I'm so sorry about the phone calls in between. And, no, you're right. You know, no a one bit of editing. I'm sorry about that, mate. Nah, no, you're right. But yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Cheers. Podcast Network.